Let's start by all joining together in praying. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you are our rock. You are our redeemer. Amen. So, let's talk this morning about grammar. You know grammar, right? The system, the structure of language. Let's talk about grammar. Let's get excited for this. Who knows what this is? Raise your hand. Who knows what this is? All right. Who knows what this is and is excited and loves to see this? Ooh, all right, a couple of you maybe. All right, for those of you who are grammar lovers, you guys are going to love this. It's going to be awesome. For everybody that didn't raise their hand or didn't raise their hand because this is awful for you, I promise you, I'm not trying to bring up your least favorite subject, your least favorite thing without a purpose or a reason or a cause. Uh, we got to start with a simple point of grammar this morning because it impacts everything. If you are one of the grammar lovers and you did raise your hand, uh, I got some good news for you. You're on a good side because God is the one who designed us, people, with grammar. He gave us the ability to communicate and to understand each other. And if we follow whatever system or structure of, or whatever language God gives us, we can actually do this. We can communicate things to other people. Other people can communicate things back to us. And we can actually understand what's going on. Within the boundaries of grammar, God helps us find meaning. It kind of makes sense because God gave us the Bible through real people and real languages that have real grammar stuff going on. What we're looking at today, Hebrews 13, was first written in the Greek language. And if you could have read the Greek three verses that we looked at, it would have stood out to you instantly. You would have noticed it. It was a point of grammar that you just couldn't miss. God encourages his people in the present tense for all of this. You know what tense is, right? Tense is the when things are going to happen. Tense is the when of the verbs. And for all of the things that God says, the tense, the when is starting right now and continuing on as long as it can be. This is why the, the last title of our sermon and worship series, I can admit it's pretty weird. Audrey and I couldn't come up with anything that was going to capture what we're talking about in like a one-word summary and be this catchy thing that sticks into your head. Because how do you capture this? How do you capture the idea that God calls Christians to engage with people and to keep on doing that no matter what? So that's why we simply called it keep on dot 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 it was grammar. <laughs> so this is what Christians are supposed to keep on doing. First, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. 
in Greek, there's a whole bunch of words that get translated into English as that simple word love, but there's different meanings behind all of them. This is one that has a unique and separate meaning. This is not romantic love. This is the love of siblings with each other. This is the love of friends for each other. God says, keep on loving the people that I have placed into your life, maybe in your family, maybe your friends, because I'm putting them into your life so that you can be a blessing for them. Even when it's like that annoying sibling, that friend that is just not a good friend, God says, keep on loving them. Number two, keep on showing hospitality. Like what you do for friends and family when they come and visit you, right? You make the food and you don't let them pay for anything. You kick one of your kids out of their rooms so that they've got their own room that they can be in. You take them to the beach, you take them to the park, you make sure that they're having fun. When you're a host, you do all of that for other people. What's unique here is that sometimes when you're hosting other people, it might not just be people that you're hosting. I'm sure you caught it. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Yeah, this is exactly what God says it is. Uh, this is God saying that sometimes he has sent angels into the world and Christians, believers, have hosted them. After the service, you can let me know whatever questions are popping up into your head because this is a really interesting and unique thing. And then third, there's one more thing in these verses that God calls us to keep on doing. Number three, continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. And those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Remember people. Keep thinking about them. If they're in prison, if they're suffering, then put yourself in their position and think what it's like to be them. Pray for them. It's pretty easy to think about somebody whenever something in their life blows up and life is tough in that moment, in the days kind of around that moment. God calls us Christians to keep people in our heads and on our hearts when the rest of our lives keeps moving and people who are suffering don't. All three things are pretty great encouragements for us to keep on engaging with people. But as I studied and I thought through them more and more, all three things that God encourages us here just left me wondering What's the point? Maybe that's just me because I really like to know the why behind things. But, I mean, really, what's the point, God? Why show love like that? I'd get it a whole lot better if it was showing love to people that are going to show you love back in some way or another. But God doesn't promise when you show love that love is coming back to you here. So why show love if it might not do anything good for you? Why host strangers? Let's start with just strange people, strangers. Right? For us, our time, our culture, this doesn't feel right. 
to host somebody means that you're comfortable with them coming into your house, being with you and your family, and you trust them to do that? How can you do that for people in our world that is a messed up world that they've never had the opportunity to build up trust with you, that you would know who they are, and God calls you to host them? More than that, why host angels? This one I thought through for a long time. What's the point? What good is it for them? You got to understand, angels are not real people. Angels don't need food. Angels don't need sleep. Angels don't need human connections going on. So nothing you can do as you host them is going to help them or provide for them. So it sounds really cool to host angels, but why? And just thinking about people who are in prison or people who are suffering, why? Isn't it just going to bring you down to think about what they've got going on? Isn't it going to make your life even messier if you involve that? I mean, you might not even get to see these people face to face. You might not get to communicate with these people depending on how bad things have gotten for them. And God calls you to keep them on your minds and in your hearts. They're not going to help you. Why? Why do all of this? God calls us to keep engaging and loving and hosting and remembering. And this is a hard truth, but you might not know the why. That's frustrating, isn't it? That is frustrating for us. Because if we don't know the why and we can't see the results of what's going on, the sinful side of us convinces us that it's not worth it to keep on dot, dot, dot. And so we stop. Maybe we never even start. What's messed up is when you and I are so focused on the results, and unless we see the results that we want to see, we can start to think that God's encouragements here aren't right. But that's why it's so cool. In the most important way, we're going to see that God's plan for us as his people has never been all about the results. Think through God and his why. His why is just crazy. This is his plan. He promised to send a savior for people who had just messed up in sin, for people who had just destroyed the perfect world that he created. Right after that, God promises I'm going to send you a savior. He keeps this promise through generations of people who turn away from him and reject him and don't want anything to do with him. And God lets that promise stand and he promises that that promise isn't going to be broken. Then he sends the fulfillment of that promise into this messed up world of sin as Jesus is born, and Jesus comes and Jesus ministers in the world, and Jesus backs up his ministry with miracles. Jesus gives the best sermons that there have ever been given, and only a few people follow him. Only a few people listen to him and believe in what he's saying. 
And then this Jesus, who was rejected, took on the sins of sin-messed-up people onto himself and died with all those sins. And in that, he gave his holiness to people who don't deserve it. God's plan is not results-driven, and you and I are the proof of this. Because you are forgiven freely and fully when through water and his word, God washes you clean of your sins. Every time we get to celebrate this awesome and amazing meal, you eat and you drink, and God forgives you for real. At the beginning of every worship service, this awesome forgiveness that I get to declare from God for his people is not a fake or a sort of or maybe some. No, this is everyone. All of you who are here and who are watching, this is real. You are forgiven because God says so. All of this is stuff that you and I can't deserve. All of this is stuff that you and I can't earn and can't get on our own. And God simply says, this is my plan. I love you. I forgive you. That's the opposite of results-driven. That's people getting what they don't deserve. That's something even better. Isn't that cool? This is God's plan for people. It's not results-driven. It's grace. And this is part of why we're here, right? Part of it is it's really good for us to know that God loves us and he forgives us and that's unconditional. But this is what we want for other people too. This is why we keep engaging and loving and hosting and remembering. We want everybody else to have this freedom when that burden of results gets off of us. We're here to keep on going so that they might get to feel that too. I promise this illustration is not because I just came from Wisconsin as a pastor up there or because we lived in Wisconsin or uh, also because it's, it's, a, it's a sports illustration. I'm trying to be real careful and not do too many sports illustrations, but this is one that I feel like just embodies who we are and who God calls us to be. There's a team that does this. Uh, they're from Division Three in college, which means it's a much smaller college, and yet they still have kind of a high level of athletics. It's uh, from Whitewater, Wisconsin. They're the Warhawks. And this is an awesome tradition that they have. Uh, every week that they practice, one day after practice, everybody puts on the glasses and they take a sledgehammer and they pound the rock. Their goal is to break the rock, to hit through it and smash through it and break the rock. And this has been going on for a couple decades now. And I can say that the rock still stands. Nobody's broken the rock. So why do they do it? Because this is who they want to be. People who will keep hitting that rock as hard as they absolutely can, even when they don't see the results they want to see. They touch it before every home game as they're walking out onto the field. They, they put this mantra on their walls and on their t-shirts, pound the rock. UW Warhawks, this is a team, this is a group that pounds the rock no matter what. I think it's pretty encouraging for us to know examples of Christians that are doing this too. So here's an example. This is, uh, 
this is a cool thing. This is from people who have been connected to Ascension now, and they told me this story within the last month. This is them doing this pound the rock kind of thing. This is going to encourage you. They know church. They want church to be part of their lives too. They know what Jesus has done for them. They know what Jesus calls them to do to engage people, to share Jesus with people. So they did it. They took the time to engage with somebody who's not a Christian. In fact, he's a practicing Satanist. They got to know him. They listened to him. They actually invited him to come to church with them. And he came. Now, unfortunately, they didn't uh, get the warmest welcome for him as he came into church. And they actually got scolded for bringing him into church. But isn't that the coolest example of people who are taking this and making it real? People who know what God calls them to do who are going to engage no matter the results that they're going to see. And you can pray because they're still working on this. They're still engaging, even after all that. I think it's stuff like this that helps us understand who we want to be. We want to be a group that's known for encouraging people to keep on engaging no matter the results. We want to be a group that's known that when people do come and join us here, that we're going to encourage them with Jesus and what Jesus has done for them. We want to be a group that meets people wherever they're at. We want to be a group that supports each other through life groups, through relationships and friendships and connections that we build here. We're going to rejoice and we're going to thank people when they do this and people come. We want to be a group that is free from the burden of being results-driven and instead is simply moved by God's unconditional love for us. It's to groups like us that God simply encourages, keep on loving. Keep on hosting. Keep on helping strangers, praying for people that cannot benefit you. It's people like us that God sends angels simply as an opportunity to show hospitality. It's us who are going to care about people when they can't do anything back for us. We're Christians. We'll keep on. So what should people who aren't connected expect from us? That we're going to keep on engaging with you. Because just like you did today, you kept listening to a sermon that started out with grammar and grammar points. We're going to keep on engaging and doing this no matter what. Because people getting connected to Jesus is worth it. Amen.